Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you love me, please don't judge me. Got my hands tied, the power's above me. Don't shoot the messenger, I'm just a puppet here. If you want to place blame, then look to the puppeteer. Family, fortune, envy, jealousy, privilege, passed on, legacy, secret, sabotage, borderline, felony, suicide, subtract, selfish, Welcome to another episode of Machiavellian Fucks, our succession podcast that's heading away from the endless middle and towards the bottom of the top. I'm Jason Madison, alongside my co-host Nando Vila, potential count of somewhere and legitimate claimant to the dormant throne of Italy. 
<laughs> and, and I can give you guys a very detailed history of the throne of Italy, by the way. So, yeah. And Anthony Mays, who's not feeling very connected to his children or his endeavors right now. It's wow. true. <laughs> it's pretty dissociating to be me right now. Wow. Uh, yeah, let's get started. Um, so we have the succession finale, season three, the greatest television episode of the last few years maybe arguably um how do we feel fellas um i feel i feel great in a way because i you know we've been talking a lot of this is the first time i do a podcast about succession so um it's the first time i've had to like talk about it in a structured way if that makes sense where i've had to think about it beyond just kind of like letting it letting the entertainment wash over me like i've had to like actually think of it in an analytical way um and i felt that in the finale a lot of the stuff that we were talking about like really came to fruition um especially logan's resentment of his own children you know uh which is um which finally came out to the surface uh, and he just said it explicitly um and then just uh, the shiv just Shiv just just <laughs> didn't see the Tom train coming yeah. because she's never had to fight for anything in his life. And Tom has had to fight for everything in his, at least in the corporate world. He, they don't imply that he's poor, that he grew up poor or anything, but he definitely didn't grow up rich. Like he's at the top of that corporate ladder because he fucking elbowed people out on the way out and he knows how to do it. That's how you rise to the top. Those people do not give a shit about um you or anyone else they they're they're there because they're willing to um crush people push people off the ledge uh destroy people and betray people and he showed that he could and kudos to him yeah Yeah. this episode drew one of those constantly moving lines between the roy children and the others the others yeah. yeah they isolated the kids for essentially the second half of the episode in the middle of the wedding and who's sitting behind logan at the end jerry carl with the sandwich frank <laughs> yep filibuster frank and then tom yeah 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 and 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 colin standing in front of the door and Carrie did. <laughs> yeah, as his attack dog. And yeah, Carrie was right yeah. there. Uh, Survivors, all of them. You know what I mean? That right. that's what they are. You know, they don't, they don't like, they don't, they don't take it personally. They know it's a game and they, that's why they're there and not and, someone else. And to that point, I found like, I mean, there, the, you know, the episode was great for a lot of reasons. We'll get into the who, what, when, where, and why from top to bottom in a second. But kind of on this, um, subject, Carrie's interaction with Marsha was interesting. And the survivor aspect, or I, I guess I should say uh, the we're not both born into royalty or we're not part of this, you know, uh, system that these other people are a part of seems to be at play between those two. You know, like Marsha's not straight up disrespecting her the same way that she did uh, Rhea. Um, but, and she seems to 
have an understanding of what's going on with Logan and Carrie. And kind yeah, of that just was going to be my happen. question for you, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Did you read that as she knew and she was still just saying, you're the girl who gets me omelets? Yeah. Or that she was oblivious? No, I don't think she's oblivious at all. She's she's kind of like Logan in that way, that she's always have has, you know, eyes in the back of her head. She knows everything that's going on everywhere. But, you know, in order for her to get to her end game, she's probably happy Logan is, you know, fucking this little chick or whatever, but she probably has no idea that she's going to get pregnant or has the, you know, desire to get pregnant by Logan. I think that is going to, you know, come into play next season. And, you know, there'll probably be a power struggle at that point. But I think right now she's kind of on the uh, side of Roman and, you know, thinking like, Hey, he's fucking his assistant. Who cares? Right. That's just a normal thing. I don't give a Yeah. That, that she's not a threat to her. Uh, You know, Logan wouldn't, you know, Logan can't go public with his assistant, but um, the CEO of Pierce, you know, or whatever she was, uh, yeah. that's a threat. That's more of a threat to her position. She has specific weight and power in a way that, that Logan's assistant never will, even though, like, he, you know, he keeps her around and he asks her opinion and stuff. She doesn't have actual power the way, um, you know, a, a powerful girl boss does, you know, and I think that that's where Marsha just doesn't feel as threatened. She probably doesn't have, I mean, she comes from, you know, she comes from the old world. She does, she probably doesn't have the bourgeois kind of, uh, pieties that we do about like fidelity and stuff like that. She doesn't care about that aspect of it. Um, she, she just cares that this, that she might be replaced by a, uh, equally, if not more impressive woman. Exactly. Um, well, let's get into, you know, the finale, uh, Kendall's not dead. So we well, got that, que- yeah. that question. Not to do really. about nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was an interesting, I will say this though, you know, when they start the, the episode off with the tone that it's still a possibility. And yeah. that was very intentional from a directorial standpoint and the book that, you know, Logan is reading Iverson about Mog falling asleep and never waking up. And then even when he tells Iverson, you know, that uh, there was nothing wrong with with his dad, that it's still leaving the door open for, you know, yeah. the opening two minutes. Like, oh, there's nothing. Nothing was wrong. Is he dead? Like, you know, even the somber way that they're kind of playing Monopoly and avoiding talking about anything serious. It seems like something traumatic has happened, but we don't know how serious. Right. And then. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Roman starts talking and then Comfrey walks up, um, and starts, you know, saying some hilarious things about (laughs) Kendall going to the, to the, uh, to the doctor, them not letting him out because she doesn't know why she doesn't speak Italian. Um, and yeah, we kind of get back to, to, to normal, right? Ken then walks up, he's his, uh, Maybe not his normal self, but he reacts like Kendall. He doesn't want to make a big deal out of it. <laughs> one too many limoncellos, okay? What's, what yeah. happened to the best of us? Yeah, Kurt yeah. Cobain of the, of the floaties yeah. um, walks in, and uh, he's back on his high horse about getting new lawyers and still trying to act like nothing happened. Um, yeah, posting everything on Insta. I'm posting yeah. it all on Insta. Yeah. It's the new WikiLeaks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> all the, yeah, all his communications from the past five years, he's going to post on his Insta. It's the world's it's, worst Instagram account. Just like thousands of docu- documents, like just thousands of posts yeah. of documents. I don't yeah. know about you guys, but that's what my 
search page is all about is just yeah. documents. Yeah. yeah. Papers, uh, business papers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to Vanity Fair, uh, but it's mostly <laughs> them calling them. Yeah. yeah. Vanity <laughs> Fair is not very interested. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't kill Kendall. They couldn't kill Kendall. I mean, that's what I ultimately came down to um, when I was going back and forth is that it, that it was a head fake because, you know, shows like this have to maintain their dramatic engine. And the dramatic engine of this show is the, it's called succession. You know, it's, right. and it's what started with, and it's like, will Kendall succeed, succeed Logan? That's the, that's the dramatic, central dramatic question. Everything else kind of revolves around that. Yeah. yeah, he's the eldest Kendall son. Yeah, he's the eldest right? But you know what? I loved. I really did love that scene. I mean, I loved pretty much every scene in, in this uh, episode. But that intervention scene where Connor goes off and he Connor tells, hijacked that shit. <laughs> yeah, real he fast. T- he told Kendall that he was the eldest son because you know he. Kendall does walk around and operate and he vocalized that he feels like he's the eldest son of the family, which he is not. You know? It's insanely disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. and, and Shiv's like, come on, Con, you know what he means. It's like, no, like, yeah. <laughs> he's but, but, way older than them. It's yeah. fucking rude. But Shiv says that so matter of factly because it's kind of accepted by everybody else as well, right? Like yeah. everybody kind of treats Connor in that way of like, yeah, you're the oldest son. Well, technically, not really. Like Kendall gets treated like that. And you're just stay in your farm with your prostitute, you know. So, um, yeah, I I thought Con- Connor had some great moments uh, in this episode, as he tends to do. Uh, the scene right after that, where they're waiting for the car and Willa caves with the fuck it, fuck it, right? Fuck it. The <laughs> most romantic, romantic words. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Same, same idea, Nando. Yeah, isn't that what every man wants to hear? Fuck yeah. it. Yeah. How yeah. could it be? Fucking forever. You. Yeah. <laughs> she never yeah. said the words, I'll marry you. You know, and that was a yeah. gr- great part about that whole thing. And he didn't even need to hear it. You know, he yeah. just he just needed to have her not push him away. <laughs> you know, before before all this goes down, Connor has one of like, I mean, I just love like how they make Connor like this kind of like right wing Internet it dumbass when he's like a Gojo, you know, like they, they like to silence Maverick voices like myself, you know? <laughs> yeah. The platform, yeah. digital gulag. Once again, yeah. a gulag being brought yeah. up. Digital gu- Yeah, he said, I, w- "I was not alerted to this merger of equals possibility." Matson wants to the platform guys like me round up Maverick thinkers into his digital gulag. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's yeah, that so was good. one of my greatest moments of the show. Um, yeah. Now, nah, so then you know. Uh, the and the wedding is funny how much of a backseat the wedding takes to all this, you know. Like, yeah, Shiv and Tom's wedding took a backseat to the season one finale, but not to this degree, you know. Like, we kind of like don't really want to see Peter Munyon or, or Caroline that much. Like, mm-hmm. the, the less screen time they get, the better. Because, I mean, this, this episode gets so action packed, and of course, um, you know, Kendall's breakdown, uh a few moments later, you know, they're, they're all trying to figure out, uh, what actually took place at the meeting. And it's funny because Roman doesn't want to admit what took place at the meeting because he basically got punked by his dad and Matson. And, you know, it, 
all of the wins that Roman had, you know, before, and we kept saying, you know, the other shoe's going to drop. You guys were, yeah, you know, and it dropped. Then it dropped, and it dropped literally in the first minute of the episode. You know, yeah. like Roman thinks he's cool sitting in there in the in the fucking chair and their fucking uh, Matsons. It's it's. Um, I mean, again, we've talked about how Logan um, speaks directly. He doesn't speak circuitously the way the children do, or a lot of the, a lot of the people on the show do. Mm-hmm. He speaks directly, um, and the people speak circuitously around him because they're afraid of him and because they they don't really f- have the confidence of their convictions the way he does. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, they, they don't say that Madsen's on the spectrum, but he kind of seems a little on the spectrum. And um, it probably allows him to speak more directly in a way that it wouldn't for Adrian Brody before that or uh, any of the children or even Stewie or whatever. Um, it's not like it's not hidden behind jokes or irony or corporate gobbledygook it's just direct and and so when madsen speaks to him like just straight up like right when right when he gets off the freaking boat he's like uh, yo so this is the deal like what do you want that we can do this this or that and like logan respects that um and you can see that his body language changes if you like watch the performance that his response to him is completely different than than anyone's he does not dismiss him you know like roman thinks like oh look he's making a power play he's gonna tell him to fuck off and it's like no he like respects the game you know like he respects mm-hmm. the, the 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 hand that he's playing he re- he realizes that the guy's just playing his hand because he's got the strong hand and he respects that um and, and, and madison knows that he respects it yeah he, he senses even it teases him and, he's like hey tell me to fuck off tell me to f- yeah. you know tell me to go fuck myself and it's like, fine punch me in yeah. the face yeah i don't fucking care but yeah you're not because i'm right and madison plays him like perfectly from every angle right there was one part um even where he kind of gives Logan, like in a little emotional space where he says, if you feel anxiety about the family angle, like I understand that, you know? And it was like, he wanted to let him know, like, I do know what you're thinking and how all of this is going to work from every side of the equation. So this is what I've already gamed out before you landed here. You know, it's just a matter of us really working through the next steps. And so, you know, Roman doesn't realize that at first and then he kind of sees it when his dad's like no really i need you to get the fuck out of here yeah you know um and yeah it was just an interesting and i did like the part of um of the scene as well where uh, logan talks about america and when he got to mm-hmm. america there were uh gentle giants uh made of what he said gold and milk and now they're all uh he said they're fat as fuck they're scrawny on either meth or yoga I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, He's not wrong. <laughs> that also just sounds like the idealism of a young man, a young immigrant coming to America with the world yeah. of opportunity mm-hmm. ahead of him. And now he's just a old well, man who's climbed to the top of the mountain and can see that it's all kind of bullshit. Yep. Well, it's, it's also just true that um, um, up until basically 1980 America, the American economy was like growing and was like the, 
the you know the dominant power in the world. I mean, uh, like right after World War II, America produced half of the world's global output, um, and throughout like the next three decades, it was like a different beast. Like the American economy was like humming along. It was like optimistic. People like thought that they you know everyone expected a better life, and then since then it's just been decline, decline, decline um, to the point now where it's like totally sclerotic. Like there's very little innovation, very new. Uh, areas of growth. Um, and everyone is fat and, uh, either that or like just addicted to Oxycontin. And it's like, <laughs> you know, there is a, there is some truth to it. <laughs> yeah. It's, he's not exactly rock. No. And as somebody who's, you know, uh, citizen Kane, if you will, a newspaper baron of some sort, right. He would have that view of the world, uh, kind of, uh, a gross overview, right. Of looking at the poverty or the the ills of uh, America through the you know a political lens so it makes sense that that would be his perspective but yeah that connects to what he said to Kendall last episode about he knows the world and the world's not necessarily good and he knows yep. how to succeed in it but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a good person it might mean he's evil exactly and he's he's made his peace with that you know and I think you know finally we got Kendall to make his peace with his situation yeah. and um you know, this was, I think, I had mentioned previously on the episode about, you know, scenes where the kids are all together. And this, you know, it just took that to the next level, right? We see when Shiv gets Kendall over behind the uh, the chapel or whatever, and, and Roman joins them, and he's, you know, he sees the, the waiters come out of the the room to uh, throw the trash away and he's, he has a, a emotional breakdown. He has to sit down and he tells Shiv he's not there when she's trying to handle the business. And then they really get off into like what seems like a Shakespearean scene, you know, like Shiv ha- has to handle her business and do- handle the call. And then Roman is trying to be as empathetic as we've ever seen him and you- really using his, his humor his yeah. gallows humor for like a good cause for once, you know, he usually uses it to poke fun at people in their worst moments. And he starts off that way. Right. And kind of telling Kendall, you know, like, Oh, fuck you. You know, you, you're not that bad or whatever. And then he eventually starts trying to like avail Kendall of his guilt through the jokes that he's telling them. And yeah. it was really, it's like kind of sweet moment that they, they, they built between them and it was kind of also funny to see Shiv never really exit out of her business mode. She was trying to be there, but she didn't really have the capability to do anything but put her hand on his back for a couple of seconds. But yeah. it was just a great scene because they all played their part. And like the moment where um, Roman says, oh, you're leaving me here with the fillings. And he tells Kendall, like, who hasn't clipped the odd kid with a Porsche, right? <laughs> Which is yeah. like, he. I mean, do we think... Like can, a Roman really killed a kid? No, Pro- no? I would say he did. I would think yeah. that he wasn't he, driving uh, the car, Jason. Yeah. No, no, Don't no. I'm saying, silly. I'm saying, I think that Roman is relating like his something pers- that actually happened to him. <laughs> yeah, like I killed a kid with a Porsche. You know right. what I'm saying? Like who hasn't done that? And then him. I mean, they the tattooed shit. a guy's face. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's That's not it. outside. It's a wild real- ride. There, but, early twenties. I'm sure. 
it, that scene was great, obviously, and you know Jeremy Strong's performance was incredible. But it was like an interesting. This is why you jug- can't kill him off, man. You can't kill him off, yeah. dude. Can't kill him off. He's like a method maniac, but like he delivers performances like that. But it juxtaposes with the the previous kind of big powwow between the kids. Um, that was the uh, the scene in episode two Sophie's or three. Bedroom. Yeah. yeah, in Sophie's bedroom, in which Kendall came out guns blazing and basically alienated everyone. Um, and in this one, he obviously, you know, it's like full ego death, right? Like just completely stripped naked, total humility. Um, I'm a bad person. Um, and it's the catalyst to give the kids the only hope they would ever have to uh, to stand up to Logan, which is like a united front. And even then, as we saw it, like it's not enough, but um, it's the closest ver- – like di- divided, they'll never – they have nowhere near the strength to even like scratch a – you know, an itch off of, off of Logan Roy. Uh, their only prayer is like full and total unity. Um, and it required Kendall to uh, basically confront uh, and shed himself of the thing that he was hiding with bravado, you know, which was the guilt that he felt over what happened that night. And uh, um, I, I thought, I thought it was just like an incredibly clever, seen in the way that it was kind of in the way it was placed within the context of the season um and the performances and the writing were amazing it's like it was almost like watching two different shows like i mean kendall and roman seemed to be like they were in two different shows but it worked you know like and that goes to the different acting styles that they both employ that was talked about in the profile and just the general mood on set that's what Jeremy Strong does. Like this is this is exactly why you can't get him off the show. This is exactly what all the method is for. Yeah, Kendall's a piece of shit, but we all felt for him. We yeah. all felt true emotion in that moment. Yeah, and I mean, Karen. You know, I shouted him out last episode. I feel like he raised his bar even higher. You know, the the next scene where they're all in the car together. You know, he takes it to another level and, you know, he ends it, obviously, with his scene with Logan, which, you know, is probably one of his strongest performances in the show as well. And so I feel like, yeah, the their brother bond is is palpable, you know, and it's real. And they show all of the the things that brothers, you know, like them would go through and from the, the physical abuse between the both of them, the pats on the head, the pats on the back, the grabbing of the hand, you know, standing up in front of daddy, you know, all of that stuff, having each other's back, not having each other's back. They, they go through, you know, all of the stages and it's, it's incredible to watch for them as actors and, you know, just as the audience member. The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again. But after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal takes time. I don't know about you guys. I've been feeling overwhelmed, flustered, just avalanche, stuck under this avalanche of things I have to do and people I have to see and people I've got to talk to, Zoom meetings and emails. Hell, even this ad that I'm recording right now, I forgot that I had to do it. I'm doing it from a computer that's not even mine. It's really tough to do all of this when you feel like you're trying to handle it all by yourself. You feel like that. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, guess what? You're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always give us the advice we need. I mean, think about it. 
they can't really give us unbiased feedback because they're involved in many of our interactions and how we are. What you really need is advice from a licensed professional. It could be refreshing and rewarding. When you're a low point, when you're in a low point, you might feel alone. But over 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes, and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. Here's the idea. Use Talkspace. It's great. It's easy to use. It matches you with a licensed therapist and schedule live video sessions all from the comfort of your device. You can start messaging your therapist the same day you sign up. The app makes it easy to connect with the therapist that is licensed and on your schedule without having to wait weeks before your next appointment. You can go anywhere and take your therapist with you. Whether you're a parent, student, millennial, or just someone having a hard day, Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better with a single message. Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy in addition to medication prescription services. Set goals with your therapist, and they can help make sure you're really progressing. Talkspace therapists help you develop the tools to cope in difficult times. It works around your schedule at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited message with send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app. Schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapist from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. We've got thousands of licensed therapists available for you to match with. And they're experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more to help you start feeling better. Start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code BOMB. That's $100 off when you use the code BOM at Talkspace.com. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order.
I sent you guys that video of someone edited the Celine Dion, my heart yeah. will go on to <laughs> yeah. the conversation. Yeah, shout out to the great Jason Gallagher. Do you want a deal with the devil? do with a soul anyways. Souls are born. <laughs> Boo, souls. <laughs> of course. Okay. All right. That scene also, it was just an amazing uh, piece of television writing because um, it's one of those scenes where like in the moment it just seems kind of semi, like a semi throwaway scene. Like it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, and then by the end of the episode, you're like looking back on it and you're like, holy shit, that may have been the most pivotal scene in the entire history of the show. Yeah. You know, and, but it's written like kind of lightly, you know, um, and ambiguously, like and ambiguously and performed with a certain lightness, you know, like they're, you know, who needs a soul? Huh? Yeah. You know, like whatever. Who um, souls? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, and um, it turns out that it's the the hinge point of everything. And like that yeah. was the pivotal moment. Um, Nero and Sporus sitting right. in a tree. <laughs> T-O-M-G-R-E-G. Yeah. And it, and it also is shown through the cinematography, right, as well. They kind of picked a little not like the twilight hour but it's very soft lighting outside it looks about to be 4 30 or something like like that like the the colors and everything you know greg has this um well he he's wearing a black shirt i guess but tom's got this off-white suit that's kind yeah, of like they had matching jackets earlier yeah, in the day yeah. but then greg ditched it yeah and uh i guess to show that greg's a little bit more evil right now um, but, but, but Tom, Tom cause Greg, man, cause, Good I mean, I mean, Greg just like, what did he say? Him and Comfrey aren't betting together. Yeah, separate betting. <laughs> yeah. Which in what? your twenties on a romantic trip to yeah. Tuscany, you're separate betting. What? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was hilarious. Um, but yeah, that, that scene had obviously Matthew uh, McFadden, you know, um, acting, masterfully as he does uh do you want to make a deal with the devil everybody says everything explicitly in this episode by the way like yeah like, but it's explicit <laughs> but not like you don't buy it right like, yeah yeah because they but also like i mean just right just right before when he has the phone call with shiv like the pivotal phone call with shiv in which she mm. tells him like what they're planning mm-hmm. um and then he asks her straight up like what's in it yep. for me Mm-hmm. And she says, like, I don't know, something, the top, yeah. something yeah. near the top or whatever. Like, she's given it, like, exactly zero thought, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and she's just, like, reacting in the moment and, and being Tom vague about it. Tom is the player to be named later. In the <laughs> <session>. <laughs> totally. He's, he's cash considerations. Totally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she didn't realize that, like, Tom could probably deal with, uh, you know, the infidelities, the threesomes or whatever <laughs> that she wants to do. Um, she, she could probably even deal with like the demeaning, uh, dirty talk or whatever, as long as he gets his in some way. Like that's all he needed from her. That's literally all he needed from her. He could probably eat everything. He I mean, he would like, I think he would like to have like a romantic relationship and, and kids and a family and all that fun stuff. But what he really, really, really could not countenance or what he could not he couldn't abide. Yeah. He could not abide by him just not being like having to do all that shit for nothing. 
you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, they also imply earlier in the episode, and I thought it was like a great bit of foreshadowing that, you know, whereas Shiv all season has come off as like a corporate, like dumbass and that she's horrible at like, you know, doing the actual job. Um, she's a no literally, she literally knows nothing. Um, Tom quietly is like an amazing head of ATN, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they're doing a profile in fours because the profits yeah. are way up and, and she dismisses it. She's like, Oh, you just turned on the bigots bigot. And he's like, well, it's a little bit more complicated than yeah. that. You know, yeah. like I do like a lot of shit at work. Like I have to yeah. fucking manage, uh, these insane personalities, like which are like the hosts you yeah. have to, you know, have a programming strategy, like have the trains running on time. Like it's, it's hard. It's not easy. And he's good at it. And he's, like he's actually really good at it and and other people recognize it except for her like she just doesn't hasn't given it any thought at all and actually dismisses it um and you know it just shows that like these people these outsiders they're just better than these shithead kids at playing the game of corporate game of thrones right and also like tom is a worker you know yeah. shiv and the kids they don't actually understand what real work is and tom is actually Yes, he's a head of ATM, but kind of how you describe, he does real work that, you know, matters to yeah. a certain extent. And, you know, Shiv has no concept of that. Like you said, she's just kind of flying by the seat of her pants, thinking that she deserves this and that, you know, extremely entitled. And I'm sure Tom doesn't feel that to a certain extent. And obviously, Logan definitely doesn't. He tells the kids explicitly, like, build your own fucking pile. You know, yeah. he's he's kind of had it with that their entitlement shit. And so I think to a certain extent, he respects Tom because he's a worker, because at some yeah. point, you know, Logan had to build his shit, too. And that's another line that you see kind of Logan look at people through or lens. He looks at people through, you know, and why he respects Matson, because he sees that Matson had to build his shit himself. You know, he respects his hustle and his grind as a man, you know, and that's a big like you know, Republican, patriarchal, whatever you want to say, like, like ideology that Logan holds. Like, if I can't respect you as a man for like the things that you have done in this world, then I don't really respect you at fucking all, you know? And the, the final straw for him in that, in that big confrontation with his kids for Logan Roy, um, you know, it's, he, 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 he had like a kind of sincere moment at, at one point, And when he's telling them, it's like, this is your chance to prove yourselves, like to, to do something, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And they're just like, are you insane? Like, they're no. like what? No, <laughs> yeah, the like, no. never be the boss if daddy's gone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. they're just like reveal themselves to be like these absolutely entitled shitheads who don't want to like face any, I think he even says it like, you've never felt any, faced any adversity. Now's your chance, you know, like, and by the way, Matson rates you. He's like, Matson rates you, yeah. you know, it's just such a funny British, British, Britishism. Um, but like, I mean, and, uh, I mean, maybe he had, maybe he felt, maybe he felt sincere about that. That he was like, maybe this is their chance to see if they could sink or swim with like someone who's not going to like protect them at all costs. Um, yeah. To see if they if they have what it takes, and you know, like he would like to be in that position. Like Logan likes to be in that position. The kids do not like to be in the position. They've never been in that position. Yeah, that scares the shit out of them. Uh, it's funny because Connor used the uh, that term earlier in the episode, saying that um, when. He was talking about the maca route. He, he was saying that uh, Logan's having another kid because he must not rate them very well. So mm. it's funny to see uh, Logan then use that. Another one. <laughs> uh, later yeah. in the episode. So let me, let me use that to get into what I found to be an interesting arc 
in this episode in this season, but also kind of my biggest sticking point with the episode from keeping it keeping it from being a perfect episode as you guys referenced mm-hmm. it. One of the best episodes ever. Roman. Roman has been doing great this season. He had the dick pic fiasco <laughs> last episode. Phenomenal end there, but in this episode, Logan has the option to bring him or Shiv, and he's so disgusted to bring Shiv. He's like, all right, Romulus, tumble down. Come on back. You're back on the team. He does send him away, but Lucas looks him in the eye and is like, you're going to be important. You're going to be the face. So he already had that in his pocket. Didn't tell that to Shiv or Kendall at any point. He gets roped into this assassination attempt, essentially. He gets in the van with them. He's pushing back. He's hesitant, yeah. but he gets convinced. And then when they're in the room, there's even that moment where Logan is like, all right, fuck these two. Yeah. I didn't want Kendall in here at all. Shiv is pissing me off. He did the little mocking Shiv thing, which was fucking hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> and then he pulls Roman aside. He's like, all right, Roman, like the guy said he rates you. Like, this is an opportunity. You got this here. And Roman finally grows a backbone to his dad, which is the full transformation. He couldn't even look his dad in the eye in season one, but he grows a backbone at like the worst time. Like, well, go I with th- Logan. Well, that's saying. It's growth, right? You need growth, uh, yeah. you know, and you know, like the, these characters, like, you know, if not like we, like the, the, a lot of people who criticize this season and I didn't share the criticism because I sensed the momentum within, within the characters changing, but there wasn't a whole lot going on plot wise, you know, like it, like people describe the season as like the show was like spinning, spinning its wheels or like, it, like you, the characters were stuck in a hamster wheel. And to a certain extent, that's true. But what was going on was emotional change, like dramatic emotional change for all of them. Um, you know, not much was happening in the sort of nuts and bolts of who's going to be the successor, the successor, you know, um, which again is the central dramatic question, but like the characters were all changing and Roman was the guy who was kind of coming into his own, getting some self-confidence, finally, you know, winning finally. Like he was a joke at the beginning of the season. He was seen as a joke. He saw himself as a joke. He didn't respect himself. Uh, no one respected him really. He had, he clouded himself in, in irony and jokes to mask his own insecurity at his lack of self-confidence. Um, he can't even fuck someone, you know? Um, and this season is just like a series of victories. He finds himself that he's actually doing well, um, that he's, that he's, that he's okay at this job. He's certainly better. He seems, he senses that he's better than his siblings, which is like saying a lot. Um, he's certainly better than, than Shiv. And, uh, and so he grows self-confidence. So then this, this climactic, the climax for his arc is that he steps into it, and then gets slapped in the face, <laughs> you know. Um, he just gets bitch slapped by the big a gorilla step on stage and fell through a trap door. Absolutely, right. the spotlight comes out. He runs on stage and then just disappears. And Maze, I'll say, like part of his reluctance to believe his dad is probably the way he did him at the meeting, and the way that Matson so easily dismissed him. You know, if he felt like he was going to be such a strong key piece then why can't I sit here through the rest of whatever you guys are about to hash out? You just basically sent me to go play with mommy while the big boys go talk about business. And that's like, you know, that has to be 
disheartening for Roman and also like a sign that Madsen will get rid of him at a moment's notice if he feels like he's worthless, which he probably recognizes that he already does. Yeah, and to piggyback on that, to a degree, the entire time, Roman's viewpoint has been, my dad is infallible, he'll never give up, he'll never sell, he'll never do any of this. So his world is kind of shattered, his reality is rocked by Logan even considering this, which he didn't think was possible so yeah i think they did a like pretty good job of making him adrift it yeah. just felt like they shoehorned him into this water pistols and bali expedition and he yeah. got fucked again you know like yeah. he, he well, fell for the shit with his siblings and it cost him well i think that also the other thing that um i found to be uh consistent with Roman's character throughout the season, which is that A, he has genuine love for his dad in a way that his siblings do not. They just simply do not. Like he has, he has like the only moments of of sincerity that came from Roman, this episode is expressing to others, not to his dad, but like in public to others that he has genuine love for him, like a totally embarrassing thing for him (laughs) in in any other context. Um, (laughs) And then the other thing that he, that, that Roman has been consistent on is that, He's been able to separate the sort of uh, corporate struggle and backstabbing from the relationships. Like he doesn't take those things personally, you know. Um, and so he thought that, like with with uh, Logan, that like Logan would recognize that the way Roman would, you know, that like you know Roman felt, Logan felt betrayed by Roman, and so Logan's like, "Fuck you!" Like get the fuck out of here. Instead of like being like, "Oh, you betrayed me in this kind of discreet corporate thing," but we still love each other, you know, like um, that's his last weapon. He tries to use that. He's like, uh, love. And Logan laughs in his face. <laughs> he said, you, you came in here. You thought you had guns and you found out there were fucking sausages. Amazing. That was, that was such a great line. Um, yeah. And then also shifts saying, uh, we walked in on mom and dad fucking us, which I thought was a great line. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically, you know, they're, uh, they're still young children. Like they operate as if they're 12 years old, you know what I'm saying? And their parents still treat them as if such, you know, like Caroline telling uh, them that basically in so many words, she didn't feel like them trying to be the head of the company was good for them. And that, you know, letting them go of this struggle that they've been, you know, dealing with for however long is going to be benefit them in some kind of way. Obviously she doesn't really care. She just wants to make Peter money and happy for the night and move on to her next thing. Caroline, What a snake snake woman. Yeah. Um, But you know, um, it kind of does make me feel for Shiv in a little bit of a way because everybody around her, like, like as much as she told Tom, she doesn't love him. Like her mom doesn't really love her. Like, her brothers, they kind of are whatever about her. Like, her dad obviously uses her as a pawn in his game. So, it's like, you know, she kind of has to be weirdly ruthless and has all these emotional, like, issues because there's no, like, she doesn't have a Roman to go to, you know? There's nobody in her corner that's going to pat her on the back and tell her a joke if something's fucked up. She's just kind of on her own. Um, And... It'll be interesting to see how she gets back at Tom knowing her, you know, what she knows and how all of that's going to unfold next season. Um, Can we talk yeah. about when Tom I, for a minute? Yeah, oh, please. Love yeah. Tom. Easily my favorite character. 
The red sequoia really emptied the <laughs> yeah. bag of tricks here at the end with the stunner moment, the pat on the shoulder from Logan. Yeah. But as is tendency to be in this show, how long will this victory last? Is this really a victory or is it, is he, did he graduate from pawn to bishop or is he still just a dumb pawn who thinks he's a bishop? I think he definitely graduated from Palm to Bishop. Again, if he were a Roy, it'd be different. But because he's not, like he's gonna be, he's gonna be sharp, sharper. But it's gonna. I mean, it sets up an incredible final season. I don't know. Is it, is it the final season? Whatever the next season, it sets not, up an incredible sure, next yeah. season. Mm-hmm. It's unclear. Uh, it sets up an incredible next season, which is the three kids allied against Logan, Tom, and Greg. It's just a great you know three on three matchup. Well, <laughs> Logan, Tom, and Greg have a size advantage. <laughs> They'll be working the post and the low yeah. block. Yeah, very long. They'll be able to form a nice zone defense against the Roy kids. I hearken back at the conversation that Tom had with, with Kendall outside the diner. And he's like, listen, I've been around the block. So something along the lines of like, I've been around the block. Like I've seen a few things and I've seen you get fucked all the time. And I've never seen Logan get fucked once. You know, <laughs> like it was a moment of like absolute truth. Um, and yeah. he acted on it. It, yeah, I, I kind of have to go down the, the line of this is a short win, short-lived win for Tom, honestly, because he's not a Roy, and he will always be reminded of that um, by the kids or by Logan whenever they deem it necessary. Um, you know, these these moves never uh, amount to what the, the pauper or the, the person that is not royalty thinks them to be. Um, he's still technically Shiv's meat puppet. So soon as she figures out how to manipulate uh, his win for her gain, she will. So I don't mm. really see this um, being that long-winded of a of a win. You know, he should take his victory lap and enjoy his uh, toilet wine while he can. And um, mm. <laughs> yeah, think about think um, about the well, next play. <laughs> It'll be interesting because um, again, we you know we've established that Tom is like actually good at his job. Um, you know, like uh, if the deal with Gojo goes through and Madsen becomes the 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 head guy, yeah. You know, like will he quote unquote rate Tom? Um, and all he's then, really got is a good word from Logan and his own performance, right? That's what right. he's banking on here. I mean, next season is so unstable. They could do literally anything with it. We could be picking up right here. We could be picking up in six months. But the one thing that we do know will have to be addressed is the Tom Shiv marriage. And will she abide this? Is that possible? It's already yeah. as bad as it can be. Now, yeah. if Tom's like punching back a little bit, are they just going to be in a contentious marriage? I'm really curious to see where they take it. I mean, it's already a little contentious, and I feel like it might. Hey, but this is a new level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, it, it might be. Yeah. It might. It might work out in his favor. You know, like as much as Kendall always would tell him, like you know, you need to have some more balls or whatever. Like, and he kind of did that. Like, show so, who the fucking man is, bro. <laughs> yeah, and he kind of did that. So it might work out in his favor. We we don't know. You know, she she might like that. It's it's in effect him dirty talking back to her whenever she you know wanted to say what she her had to face say. at the end of the episode <laughs> when she realizes that tom betrayed him is like she's never felt that in her entire life yep yeah. this is just like the first time she's ever felt that level of is it love you know, 
Maybe, maybe she's like so. Maybe she's like one of these like cynical rich people who just wants to feel something. You know, yeah. like I don't yeah. feel alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's what's uh, you guys' favorite lines from the show? I feel like this this episode was packed with them. We we mentioned quite a few. Say yeah. hello to someone who could be Logan's ex-wife, step-cousin-in-law, and heir apparent to the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg, 12 times removed or some shit, and potential count of somewhere, and legitimate claimant to the dormant throne of Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dormant yeah. throne and short-lived yeah. well, short throne of Italy. People don't realize Italy's a new country. Italy was only formed in 1861. Uh, mm. Before that, it was just a collection of small principalities like Genoa and like in Sicily and like just individual kind of uh, little kingdom slash principalities. And then there was, it was uh, united under Vittorio Emanuele, um, who was the first king of, of Italy, but it didn't, it didn't last very long because um, uh, with, with the coming of fascism and, and then World War II, um, that's when the, that's when the crown was booted out of there and Italy became a republic um, and has since then. And uh, so they're they're in not in exile. Like I mean, they can they can go to Italy and stuff without getting executed or anything like that. But um, they are not in power. So short lived, but still obviously you know prestigious, right? It's a big big European country. It's the uh, I think the fourth biggest economy in Europe. So uh, yeah, um, you know not a bad not a bad gig for for young Greg. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah eight, eighth in line, Greg. You marry her, you're a plane crash away from becoming Europe's weirdest king. Tom's like Tom's performance, like Michael McFadden, Matthew McFadden's performance when Greg has that conversation with him, oh, yeah. is like is like one of the best comedic performances ever. Like yeah. he's just like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets to be this hype yeah. man, this like yeah. devil on your shoulder hype man yeah. for Greg, and yeah. then he gets to turn around and you know have these brutal scenes with Shiv. It's just that's what the show does so well is it takes you from one arena to another where you're playing in a completely different role. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were so many moments for me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> when, uh, when Connor says, uh, dad's putting together a more adhesive and potent glue. All the jism talk. <laughs> oh yeah. boy. Oh, let me ask you guys real quick. Yeah. Connor fucking with them or real or a succession rumor that will become real. Hmm. Hmm. No, I, I think I think it might be real. I I mean that they so obviously they showed him drinking the green juice later in the episode. Um, I think it might be real. I don't know. If I, it, I gotta admit, I've never heard of that shit. You know, <laughs> like if you eat walnuts, you're, well, you're like not, fucking sperms. You're not the target uh, demographic, Nando. So I guess not. You know, maybe uh, in a couple more years, you might. No, but be I on have the friends who are like going through, you know, trying to trying to get pregnant and things like that. And I'm like, uh, I didn't know that that shit can be affected by the amount of walnuts you eat. <laughs> or was it maca root? Maca root. Yeah, major fertility yeah. booster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get out of jail free card. Another one. Another one. <laughs> so good. DJ like Collard. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shiv had a couple of moments, uh, or you know, Sarah Snook playing Shiv in the in the show, um, where she kind of like, I won't say breaks character, but she gets serious to a point that it makes both of her, both her dad and her brother, snap out of whatever uh, they were in. 
um, when she's talking to Kendall and he's sitting down smoking a cigarette and she's t- asking him, oh, you know, I might need a line on Stewie or whatever. And then she stops and like kind of talks to him in this super serious voice like, Kendall, I wouldn't ask if it wasn't important. And he's like, okay. You know, and she does the same thing later to her dad when they're talking about the merger becoming a takeover or whatever. And she's asking, you know, does it have to be right now? Let's let's figure to get the shape of this. And, you know, he was like, well, I'm doing it because I feel like it. And she stops and she's like, but no, like, you know, that's bullshit. Right. And then he realizes, like, all right, I'm sick of your shit. And that's when he, you know, because he doesn't want to have to deal with tangoing with her and that's when he goes off to roman and says uh what does he call them jacobins what is that jacobin it's uh <laughs> yeah. part of the french revolution they were extremists yeah. okay yeah yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a good one yeah. and then she says uh trebuchet earlier which i haven't heard that word since grade school uh describing <laughs> a, a catapult right yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah yep. um uh, I want to ask, where's Jess? We never, we don't see Jess again. She yeah, she's to... benched. And Naomi benched. Naomi's benched. Carolina. There was the there was the scene that they talked about in the New Yorker profile where they mentioned a scene where Kendall picked up the kids from Rava and said he wasn't feeling too hot about Jess. That didn't make it to air. Oh, but, right, right. That's true. Or, yeah. Not about Jess, about Naomi. Um, right, right, Naomi. But you know. Anyone who's in this extended universe will be back at any moment. <laughs> yeah. Adrian Brody might invite them to his island once again. <laughs> um, a call went out on Lackey Slack <laughs> when they were talking to Greg about uh, the assistants uh, being in the in the city. I thought that was funny, Lackey Slack. Um, oh, when <laughs> Logan tells uh, Kendall, or he tells Roman to take Kendall out. And he says, do you mind uh, not with him in here giving me the fucking doggy evils? Which I, I, ne- I don't remember I, that one. Yeah. He, he's talking about the way that Kendall's looking at him. And I've never heard anybody use that term before. He calls yeah. them doggy evils, like the equivalent of like puppy eyes, but he yeah. calls them yeah. doggy evils. I mean, evils. Kendall does have puppy eyes, but they are very tortured. It's not yeah. a very cute puppy eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know what you got. What you got, Mando? Um, I mean, uh, I mentioned the, the Connor line that was uh, that that was spectacular. Um, you know, the other the, the other kind of thing that just I stuck in my mind, I was like, because when I was watching with people uh, on Sunday night, they were like, "Why would why would uh, Logan's wife do this?" And it, I remember like a kind of throwaway moment, in I think the previous episode where. Um, Peter Munyon or whatever, like need something from the British government. Yeah, you know, like, he and wants it's un- Logan's contacts to get him into the something. British government, and that's yeah. Probably what he um, and like that was it. You know, like everyone's just got a fucking angle, um, including Jerry. Like the, the heartbreaking moment for Roman, right? Like this was like the last, the final nail in the coffin for Roman. He, like Roman, like a bloodied, you know, like like at the end of like a war movie, like he's like you know crawling <laughs> as he's like bullet you know holes all over him, and he like goes like and he he just like pleads. He doesn't even. I don't even think he says anything. He's just like looks at her and she's like, "What's my angle? How does it interest me? You know, like this doesn't fucking like we have no relationship. Like you were yeah we, to think that, you know. Yeah, no, we saw the breakup of, of Roman and Jerry. Man, you know that was a pretty significant moment in the show right there. Yeah, Roman Roman got on bended knee and she. uh 
She did not acquiesce. To his she didn't request. say fuck it. <laughs> yeah, she didn't say fuck it. Uh, that yeah. was that was deep for for him, and that was part of his breakdown. Like that was basically him, you know, crying out to mommy, and she is like, "Yep, I'm I'm not gonna breastfeed you right now." Got fucked boy. by his real mom and his fake mom <laughs> in the same At fucking the same time. Yeah. yeah, same five minutes. Yeah, Caroline, Caroline's a snake, dude. Oh uh, yeah, like, she's the worst. Yeah. She taught she you know all all sympathy and faux concern at the face and then she's just waiting. I mean she to married Logan Roy. Over. Yeah. She's marrying Peter Munyon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't know anything about Peter Munyon. <laughs> I mean, we, Logan Roy. We, yeah, we know he's Logan a Roy scumbag. is like a fucking sociopath, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, prequel series? Caroline yeah. and and Logan? I thought about that actually that that would mm. be interesting. Like a young Logan you know, like young Sheldon, just get the showrunner for young Sheldon and do young Logan um, and see how he built his empire. I mean, I would watch it. You, Greg could play Ewan, you know, in the flashback. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Jeremy Strong could That's like right. gain some weight or something and play Logan. Yeah. It's already there. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah, no, that would, that would be great. Um, man, what an episode of television, man. That was um, great. I thought it was spectacular. Like, I honestly thought it was spectacular. It, it had everything. It had, uh, j- like, the, 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 the comedy that Succession has throughout. Like, it had some of the funniest moments. It also had genuine pathos. It had, you know, emotional breakthroughs. It had um, thrilling twists and turns. And, you know, we the whole season we're thinking, like, what is Tom's... Like, what's is he, he wearing a wire? Yeah. Is he doing a thing? Like, what's yeah. he what's yeah, he, he up to? Yeah, he was, wearing, we all, he was wearing a wire for Logan. <laughs> right. Well, they, tele- they they were telegraphing. This is like what a brilliant kind of uh, whodunit. Like, this was kind of like a whodunit, you know, like situation. That's what a brilliant whodunit tells you. They tell you who the, who the killer is pretty mm-hmm. explicitly at the beginning, you know? And then they throw all the shit at you to distract you. Meanwhile, still telegraphing the whole time who the killer is, but your brain is trying to like figure it out. So you can't see the obvious play, you know, in which this play, the Tom's play in retrospect is obvious, but I don't know about you guys. I didn't see it coming. Like even after the the conversation with Greg. um, Yeah. I mean, the Nero and Sporus thing has definitely gained a lot of real estate in my mind. The last few weeks, I've been thinking about them as that a lot. But the thing is, is that Tom sounds fucking insane when he's talking about it. He's like, yeah, so I'm reading this book for prison that I got for prison, but I'm reading it now. And I read this story and it just really made me think of you, Greg. It's where an emperor castrates a slave boy and then marries him after killing his wife. And it's like, oh, so wait, that happened, though. That actually happened. He was inspired by that. Right. Right. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, yeah, I was I was totally caught off guard. You know, I I kind of saw the Caroline play happening. Um, that was right, the one I, right. I kind of sniffed out just because I I know that when their mom enters the room, like she's bringing bullshit with her, and when she started talking to Shiv about the divorce settlement, and then they brought up that in the car, I'm like, mm, this is not going to end, end yeah. well for them. <laughs> yeah, it really seemed like. Uh, Get out of jail free card. Another one. Yeah. Kendall's like, oh, well, we have this thing and he can't. He can't. And then he triple checks and they can't. It's like, well, you know, I'm not totally buying that. Like, you just came up with this out of nowhere. Yeah. So they perfectly subverted it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
well, so I wanted to address something that was uh, tangentially uh, going on with the show. Obviously, we talked about Jeremy Strong's um, article last week. What do you guys think about Aaron Sorkin, who doesn't have social media? <laughs> His response to, to the article. Um, I find Eric's Aaron Sorkin to be just kind of generally annoying. And, uh, you know, I mean, and you know, as the sort of creator of West Wing, which is kind of the most, one of the most evil shows of all time. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, he'll forever be my political enemy, but like, I respected him for standing up to his, like standing up for his boy. I don't know. Like he yeah. felt that, the, you know, he, he stood up for him and I'm, I'm cool with that. And Adam McKay also stood up for him mm-hmm. yeah, um, as well. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, like I would, I would appreciate like if, I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like to have an article written by you and have like literally everyone on the discourse just fucking right. talking about how much of a maniac you are. And then, you know, you <laughs> yeah. appreciate like, trying to uh, kill off your character <laughs> yeah, on totally. the internet. Yeah. But, uh, why don't you like West Wing? Nando? I never watched the show. I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Aaron Sorkin, uh, his writing, but. I, don't I, love, I, I like I like Aaron Sorkin when he's not doing politics. Like uh, okay. you know, I like I like Moneyball a lot, and I like um, the Social Network a lot. Yeah. Uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven and West Wing is just like to me. It's the most like tepid um, kind of evil version of liberalism you could ever imagine. Mm. You know, like for Trial of the Chicago Seven, he takes like genuine radicals and turns them into like Nancy Pelosi's. Mm. Um, you know, like these people were like genuinely radical. You know, they were not, whether you could agree with them or not, they were not like fucking, you know, Mayor Pete. Uh, <laughs> and he turns them into a bunch of Mayor Pete's. Mm. Um, and then in West Wing, the whole thing is uh, a political project in which the there are enlightened, smarter people who are smarter than you and I, and they should just be in charge of everything. Um, you can't trust these like radical lefties; they're they're fucking a, a, a unreasonable. And actually, uh, Republicans should be listened to, um, and right wingers have something to say. Um, and we have a closet, you know, kind of closeted fetish. For right wingers, actually, um, mm. especially the reasonable ones, you know, like there's reasonable ones out there that you know we could uh, find common ground with, and it's like, it's just like a, a very uh, naive but also uh, anti democratic form uh, vision of of like liberal politics that he that he's. I mean, the, if you watch the show in with the eyes of twenty twenty one or whatever we're in, um, it just comes off as like hopelessly fucking i don't know retrograde yeah awful yeah <laughs> okay i, I mean I, I always wanted to check it out because like, i like so like okay for, here's for example like you know he believes that like if you just use the correct arguments you will own the conservatives so hard that they will have to then concede defeat and everyone in the country will realize how brilliant you are like it's right. such a debate club vision of politics rather than it's not like an actual it's not how politics actually works. Like there's like the famous scene in which like, you know, uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's the president, uh, Martin Sheen. I th- yeah, it is the president of Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Um, he confronts like some Laura Ingram type woman, Fox News host, who's like talking about abortion and like God and all this shit. And like Martin Sheen like quotes the Bible back at her, you know, and shows off that he knows more about the Bible than she does. Um, and she's therefore silenced and uh, owned so hard by his brilliant debate that the entire room just like cheers for him and shit. And it's like... 
dude, that, yeah. like look around, bro. Like look at the last look at the last few years. Like the the correct arguments are not going to win you anything, I, you know. That that might be a symptom of a lot of filmmakers, a lot of artists, but it's kind of noticed more so in filmmaking where they try to remake the same scene over and over again as kind of like either a crescendo or a moment in their films, whether that's Nora Ephron or Spike Lee or uh, Scorsese, a lot of people, right? And to a certain extent, like that same uh, pathology is found in the Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson scene from A Few Good Men. Right, oh, yeah. that, that he's most famous for, and that's where he kind of gets it right, right. And it sounds like, for what you're saying, that he just tries to re reiterate that or redo that same well, in, stance. In a few good men, it works better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Good, it probably works in a few good men, but not so yeah. much in other stuff. Well, I mean, the politics of a few good men are awful as well, but it bothers me less because it works better as a drama and a movie, and uh, you know the. Um, the 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 climactic scene in A Few Good Men is true to the characters in some way. He's not like making a grander point. He's just like he just realizes that Tom, like he he understands that he understands that Je- Colonel Jessup, Jack Nicholson, um, just like has this resentment within him that he's a fucking big military guy. No one fucking listens to him. Everyone should listen to him because he's the big fucking military guy. And as soon as someone gets under his skin, he blows a gasket and just like you know. And, and reveals it like that's true dramatically like that makes dramatic perfect sense i mean the politics of fugit men i can like I, I can argue about but like right. i don't really care about the politics of it um yeah. because i think it works as a movie um yeah. west wing is like him just like doing a political lecture all the time you know yeah. Yeah. um there is drama and there is like you know relationships and shit like that but the characters are all basically avatars for Aaron Sorkin. Like they all yeah. kind of sound the same. Like newsroom, you know? right? Every scene is five people walking down a hallway, going two hundred <laughs> words per minute. Yeah, and, and they forth. all kind of sound like him. They're don't, they, they don't all sound that different. Yeah, and they're yeah. all just speaking Sorkinese. Yeah, I mean yeah. Sorkinese. <laughs> the best is Eisenberg. Like Eisenberg's version of Zuckerberg with yeah the with language Sorkin. of Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. The funniest thing about it to me is how much more competent and savvy it is than the real Zuckerberg, who kind of just yeah. seems like an empty-headed yeah. doofus in a lot of ways. He just heard that. I'm probably going to get wiped yeah. off the internet you're gonna this get, week. You're going to get black but, bagged out of here. Oh, speaking of which, not to cut you off, Maze, but like that just happened to me uh, today. I was sending Trey uh, a DM, and like we were like joking back and forth, and there was a message that popped up in my Instagram saying like, make sure that we're not like saying anything bad about people or some, it was something to that effect. Like that, that popped up in my DM box. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Are they reading our DMS? I mean, I knew they were reading them, but like not that closely. Big brother is watching Jason. Yeah. Oh, it says, uh, uh, remember to follow our community guidelines and be respectful when messaging others. What Why kind don't of you just have a little that? respect, Jason? I mean, <laughs> like, and then it would be better for everyone if you were just nicer in your DMS, especially to Trey. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fucked up, man. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, yeah. that Zuckerberg is one of the best. Char- it's the best marriage of like actor and writer. But there's plenty of great marriages between actor and writer on Succession. The one thing I hope for next year is that Greg gets a Greg. Give Greg a Greg. That's my platform. Boo souls. <laughs> um, real quick before we before we bounce, uh, who who won the season? Tom Wildenskans. 
Logan. Logan always wins. Make your Car- own fucking pile. Carrie, because she came out of nowhere. Oh! And she might be having a Roy. The Maka Root. <laughs> yes. Performance enhancer. Yeah, she came with the fourth quarter performance. And I liked her line when uh, Carl and then walked up asking about the Wi-Fi. And she's like, yeah, I sacrificed a few goats, so it should be working fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. Um, yeah, Tom, I just – Tom's journey throughout this season has been spectacular. And he's had so many great moments. Uh, I mean, from trashing the office to the confrontation with Kendall in the diner. Uh, just – the, the red sequoia moment like the, the fact that they gave an actor like that that line like that's just like an actor gets the script you know like a freshly printed script and he's like oh what are my lines for today and he's like oh yes <laughs> you know, like yeah. that is like yeah to get so, those sides <laughs> yeah and then just to see him you know when he's gone through like he was in the most precarious position of the season of anyone right like he was right. about to go to freaking jail um, you know, the stakes couldn't have been higher for any of the other characters. Um, and then he comes back and he just sticks the knife into his bitch wife. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for the chicken. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Logan. <laughs> Fellas, it's been a wild ride. We did a whole season of succession. We just went right into it. Chemistry was there from the beginning. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. Jason Madison, Anthony Mays, I'm Nando Vila. This is our final episode of Machiavellian Fucks, our succession rewatch podcast, or recap podcast, rewatch podcast, whatever. Hopefully we'll see you next season. Bye.